Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine Miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within, and I want to let our listeners know that we're also live streaming on Facebook book on Resiliency Within. And if you want to see my guest, M. Lacroix, in person, as well as myself, you can you can live stream on Facebook at Resiliency Within. I am really um, encouraged by the message that we have today that um, M. M. Lacroix will be will be describing. We're going to be talking about disaster ready. And I before we I do a little deeper dive and give a little bit of an introduction of disaster ready and we start our questions, I think it's really important that we have a lot of hot spots in the world, a lot of disasters happening in, in many parts of our earth. We sometimes if we are connected to the Western world, we may be hearing only of some of the conflict areas. I think that of course, in the last uh, two years, we know about Ukraine, we know about Israel, we know about Palestine, but there's also conflicts in Afghanistan and um, Burkina Faso and Central African Republic and Chad and the Democratic Republic of Congo, Somalia, South Sudan, Sudan. Um, it It goes on and on. Because we don't hear it in the news does not mean it doesn't happen. So I think that those are of us that are involved in humanitarian efforts, that we do have that broader perspective of how do we bring um, disaster ready to use a wonderful um, description of your organization, how, how do we equip people from different parts of the world. So today, and I'm going to give a little bit of a a description of um, disaster ready is they're individuals who are committed to humanitarian work. They're dedicated to upholding the core values of compassion um, for humanity. Their mission revolves um, around the vital aspects of preserving lives, alleviating suffering and safeguarding the inherent dignity of all individuals affected by crises without any form of discrimination. This commitment extends not only to those they aid, but also to ensuring the safety and well-being of their own dedicated workforce and volunteers. DisasterReady.org harnesses the power of educational technology and collaborates with seasoned experts to offer complementary training resources. Yes, I said complementary. These resources are designed to equip aid workers worldwide with essential coping mechanisms and skills to fortify their their resilience. And by doing so, these workers can better prepare themselves to function effectively in highly demanding and stressful environments, allowing them to maintain their well-being and continue their mission of service. I think it's also important to really to underscore that many times the, the helpers are also are affected by the conflict areas that they live in. So they're not only helping, but they're also living in and experiencing the conflict themselves. So it is my absolute honor to introduce to you Emmanuelle Lacroix. We call her M. She's the Senior Partnership Manager for the C. 
the CSOD Foundation and DisasterReadyDark.org in Europe. She's based in Paris and is bilingual French and English talent management practitioner and partnership development manager. She has built a robust international operational experience and a commitment to quality and accountability during her formative years. Living in London, I believe for 20 years, she's she has told me, with international NGOs such as the British Red Cross, Save the Children, and the CHS Alliance. So as we are now getting started, um, how are what are you how are you today and what's on your mind as we're getting started, Em? Well, thank you. Thank you, Ellen. And I'm very, very happy to be here. So honored, really. So what started as a, as a conversation after an email sent to an inbox or for, for info at, at disasterready.org got us here. So I think that's what I've got in my mind. I was a bit nervous because I confess I've never had that sort of opportunity to discuss not only with like a peer and, 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 and a colleague, but, you know, getting involved into a wider conversation with our participants and our audience to, tonight. I I was going to say tonight, yes, because it's tonight in France, it's but tonight in Paris, today, right? it's, across it's the, the world, California, yes, <laughs> in sunny California. So I think the the main feeling is is gratitude, and and bear with me if it comes up a lot during our conversation, but that's one of my uh, my my sort of directing force in life. So very grateful, very happy to be to be here, and thank you for the the, the wonderful presentation. You've done half of my job already. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you you helped me to formulate that introduction. So thank you very much. Well, I think that, you know, when we, when Mike Sapp, who's the CEO of the Trauma Resource Institute, who is the sponsor of the show, we had a conversation with you. Oh my gosh, we saw so many intersections and we like-minded. We also, the Trauma Resource Institute, as you know, is a humanitarian organization and it is a very difficult time in the world right now. So, you know, we thought, I thought it was a really good time to bring you forward because I do think in order to meet the challenge, we have to think out of the proverbial box, right? to say, okay, well, many of us have gone to disasters, but is there another way of equipping the population? I think that you've certainly done that. And I know we're going to do a deeper dive in it, but before we do that, I want to ask you a little bit about you. So what was it that started you? I happen to know now a little bit that you kind of grew up in a rural area of France and here you are doing international global disaster work. What was it that sparked this interest in you? Well, it, it, if I had been told, you know, being that little girl growing up in the countryside of France that I would end up going to not, you know, not the sort of places you think about in terms of international traveling necessarily, but that would end up where I am today, I would have thought, yeah, no, that surely, surely not me. But I guess that's what, um, that's what, be, you know, taking chances or being given chances, chances. And, and for me, I, I can't tell you, you know, one day I woke up and I had that vision that when I grow up, I would be such and such. But I guess um, part of it was volunteering for the local branch of my of the Red Cross National Society when I was in France, because my cousin was doing it and it felt quite cool to be going to event for free, but then being on first head stand. But, you know, it, it was just a sense of, being with with like-minded people and, and knowing that I can help even though I wasn't gonna save life necessarily, but just being able to 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 help people, even if it's to put a plaster on the knee from a kid falling, you know, running too fast during during a festival. So I think it started here. And one 
I, I do remember, you know, at the time of the genocide in Rwanda in 94, being so struck by the, the table images that were coming to the news and the way that the news were covering it was, you know, if you go back to 94, all we think about the storytelling and the equity and how you, you, you share voices of, you know, population affected was not really on, on the forefront, I guess. But to me, there was just something that's, to my mind that it, obviously this is not right and I'm so stating the obvious here but it, as a 19 year old thinking what well, that's you know I, I want to be able to to do something about helping helping the people affected the population being thrown into such a you know terrible event and having to leave everything and run for their life so 19 years old not really being sure what I will do when I grow up so I still sort of got to uni I didn't have it in me to be a doctor or a nurse because science is not really not really me but you know as as I progressed with my 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 studies and I, I moved to London um as an exchange student but I decided to stay and I I graduated and I started to work and then I was given the opportunity to um to train as an HR officer. And I, to me, because I started to work in finance and I was just like, this is so not me. And I thought <laughs> about HR, there is human in it. So surely that's more me. And, you know, fast forward a few years later, I was, by then I had sort of acquired some sort of skills, some sort of ability to apply to, to jobs. And I kept on applying to charities and nonprofit in the UK. And then I knocked at the door of the, the Red Cross and they, you know, I passed the, the 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 recruitment process and I joined the team. Very interestingly, um, in November, December two thousand and four, then I gave the notice from my previous job. Took my Christmas holiday and on the twenty sixth of December two thousand and four, started to hear the news about that terrible earthquake and tsunami in in Southeast Asia, and I was starting my role in the humanitarian um, HR department in the British Red Cross on the fifth of January two thousand and five. So. You can just imagine that whatever the job I applied to, it went through the window. Whatever onboarding process there was, it went out the window. And I got thrown into that heave of, of beehive of, you know, activity and putting resources together and being terrified. And in the same time thinking, I am where I need to be. I mean, I'm such a little, you know, not in, into the whole machinery, but this is it. I, I, that's where I, I was meant to be. And, and then that's, you know, that's how I got into actually working in that space and, and back to the Red Cross family after my early years as a volunteer to, to start, you know, working in the space that I always wanted to be part of. Well, and I think, you know, it's so interesting. You know, I also, I, you know, the, uh, the terrible tsunami in Asia, I was in Thailand after that horrible tsunami. Mm. That's when I got some of the ideas that I am really, I speak about all the time was from that horrible tragedy. And I think that's, you know, it's, isn't it interesting that some of us, we see these horrible things and I, I don't mean this, I, it's an opportunity to think about helping people in a different way. And I know that yeah. when I was in Thailand, it really came to me, there had to be a different way to approach people in a body-centered model that may be able to help them that needed to be taught quickly and easily. But from the terrible suffering and tragedy, then some sometimes goodness comes from it as well in thinking about ideas to help. And here you are having worked with the International Red Cross and then I know Save the Children and now with Disaster Ready and the important work that Disaster uh, Ready is doing. So why don't we go ahead and get started and talk a little bit about mm -hmm. it. So, so what is the story? What's the reason of being behind Disaster Ready? And I know you can say it in French much better than I can. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> the reason d'être yes. yes. of disaster ready. <laughs> Thank you, Hélène. I, I, I guess, you know, um, disaster ready, as it says on the team, is about preparedness to respond to disaster, but it goes way, well beyond that. But uh, if we go back to where it's coming from, uh, you said it at the beginning, I work for the Cornerstone on Demand, CSOD Foundation. So Cornerstone is a, a talent management software company headquartered in the US, in California, nearer to you, Ellen, than me. <laughs> and, um, you know, as a company doing this software for talent management, and it was really born in the, le the learning space, you know, the first sort of learning online technology 20 odd years ago. It sort of put the company in a uniquely unique position to provide access to education and professional development, leveraging the expertise and the very product of, of, of the organization. So the foundation is the philanthropic uh, philanthropic arm of the company. Uh, and is there actually a software, there a software company? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, they do oh. the whole suite. Yes, yes, yes. So they, they cover the whole sort of, uh, you know, recruiting online, performance management, the whole of the really, the vision of the founder was, you know, using that technology to provide access to education. And then he had in his vision from the very start also giving back. So yes, it was a, an entre, you know, a corporate enterprise and, and vision, but very early on, he only wanted to also set up the foundation, which, which he did. And, uh, you know, taking the advantage of, of, of the technology and the ecosystem. And disaster ready is, is the main, these days is the main service of, of the foundation and, and really what, what we can, you know, it's like identifying what the world needs, identifying what we're good at. And in the Venn diagram, you find disaster ready because that's where these two meet. And it's, you know, what we've learned and it won't be a surprise to you, Ellen, or, or many people out there. It's just like, it takes a lot of money to get this sort of system. And not only to get the system, but then to run it properly, to, to have the content, to populate it because you don't want to be an addition. And we've realized talking with a lot of nonprofit clients and also our, you know, our ecosystem of, of NGO within the foundation that why, you know, for many nonprofits, it's just not... Is that they can't afford it, and nor should they when they, their mission is to support the community they're dedicated to support whatever their their actual mission. So you know, we we they have the same needs that any other client of the business, but we as the foundation play the role in terms of filling the gap in democratizing, if I can say that correctly, access to professional development and ensuring that all the individual and the nonprofit across the world can take advantage of the technology and all the content that we, we've identified with, with our partner. And as you said at the beginning, making it available for them for free. And, and really, uh, it's not a, an advert I'm, I'm putting here, but there is no small small print where, you know, you take five content and then you start being charged. It's really something that we as an organization and as a company have committed to do and, and for, you know, facilitating this access. Well, and I think it's really important having responded myself personally and organizationally to many of the disasters around the world is that, you know, <laughs> the communities are very rarely ready to deal with wide-scale disasters. And yet there are many people that come in, that fly in, and they have a certain model of intervention, and maybe it's very helpful to some cultures and maybe not. But I think that if you have a smorgasbord 
of the the um, I guess the expertise that you provide with Disaster Ready, people can go in and they can choose what may really resonate with them, and with their lens and their culture, see oh this is a model or this approach really works with us, and we can learn about it here, and then we can implement it because it takes time, right, for people to respond to disasters to go in. If you're going to go to another country, you know, flying food, and you don't want to take away from the resources that they may really urgently need to support their own population. So, you know, when I heard about what you were doing, I go, oh my gosh, this is so good. Because I think we need many layers of support, but this really provides a foundational framework that people can learn about different types of things they can do when a disaster happens. Am I saying that correctly? Do I, did I get that? You are, and that's what you said at the beginning, you know, the, the first helper of the community affected by the disaster, no matter how good we are as big NGO to deploy people that are on call, they've been, you know, trained or whatever, it still take time, as you say, flight and access, and sometimes the, the region, are, you know, it's very difficult for foreigners, you know, non, non-local non people to even access the population. So you're right, it's, the readiness is, and, and the, the first responder are in the community. Yeah, we certainly had this experience with the Trauma Resource Institute, and we've spoken on this show before about our response to the the, the war in Ukraine um, perpetrated by the Russians. And that was we could do things like we're doing right now. We could be on Zoom. We could have conversations. They can learn the skills that we offer. But I think most importantly, once they learn them, then they can disseminate it to their own population. I mean, that's one thing that, you know, we've done, but not to the extent that you've done in the, I think, in the kind of cutting edge technology that you're using. And I guess my next question has to do with what are the trends within the evolution and the grow of online content and how, where does this digital learning format fits in the larger picture of capacity strengthening in kind of the, the whole area of the of global aid? That's a great question. And, and you know, just... I mean, it's one tool in the toolbox. It's, we know, and you know, there is still an appetite for in-person interaction or learning or you know, body system. And I'm, you know, I, at no point am I saying this is the the, the solution to it. But, and we've seen, you know, I think everybody in the room today, wherever you you are, we, we've we've seen with the the pandemic and and COVID and all of us being you know in lockdown wherever we live that we turned to technology because that was the only way to to maintain some sort of normality and carry on doing our work and adding to the support or the, the connection because we needed more than ever to be able to still connect and still learn from each other and still support each other. So I think, you know, the there is a lot and I'm 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 in no way a tech, you know, sort of expert. I see the benefit of this technology to 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 build the capacity to strengthen the the the, the capacity of of you know the, the responder and the community. But now you know what what most of us and and very much across the globe, you know, we might not have computer, but we're going to have mobile phone with some some sort of screen and access to the internet. So it, it's really that you know I was talking about democratizing democratizing the access. It's really bringing down barriers so people can access on the job, in the vital point of need, sort of information and, and key knowledge, or in preparedness to everything out of pure curiosity, take courses and, you know, click as, as they as they need and take that in their, their own pace or, you know, in between two meetings or in, you know, when they're on the bus. So it's, you know, having the technology and the spread of mobile sort of uh, phone across a big part of our audience really shows that, 
this online learning when they're well designed for, you know, that self-based, self-directed. So again, it's just one tool into the bigger box, but you know, can really help. Go ahead. Yeah, 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 go. Well, I was thinking, you know, I was I, I, went, I was in Africa a few years ago and I, I remember I had just gotten my iPhone and my I'm in the middle of the Mara, literally on a safari. And all of a sudden my new phone dings. I'm going, what? I get reception in the middle of like being on a safari. I know that sounds, oh, yes. but they yes. had better, they had better technology there on accessibility online than I did at home in California. I thought it was so interesting. And then I met this wonderful um, Maasai leader and he had a, he had a, he had a phone and he, that's is how he connected to many people who wanted to come to the Maasai village, which is part of the economy of their village. Mm-hmm. But I thought, gosh, he, and I said, well, we're, cause there was no electricity in, in this village. Cause I went to his village, but there was a ranger station where he would go and he would have the electricity. I'm sure this was a number of years ago. They probably have solar now that they don't need to do that. But I think that you know, I, I think when we talk about the democratization of our readiness for disasters, I think that the technology like the phone has has helped to do that. Because oh, it's a game changer. Most places where I've been, they may not have access to a computer, but they'll have access to a phone that has some sort of internet access. Absolutely. I mean, 15 years ago, a very similar story. I was in Burkina Faso visiting friends. I wasn't even there for work, but we went to a village and again, same thing. There wasn't like electricity everywhere, but people had their, you know, the chief of the village and we were just talking and sharing stories because we happened to have the same first name. And, you know, then he pulled out his phone and I was just like, allow me that question. Where do you go to charge it? You know, and, and, you know, they all go to the post office in the next village and then they charge and then they, like that they can connect. So much more resourceful than we probably are ourselves. <laughs> yeah, so it's amazing. And so that's what I'm thinking. Oh my, my, how am I to harness this technology? to help with disasters because disasters happen to all people. They don't mm. happen to people that, let's say, have the most academic um, you know, uh, education and the most resources. The people mm. that are often the most impacted are actually the opposite of that. The children, the elders, the um, women that are taking care of the children are often the most impacted. And if they have something that they can, can look at to learn, how might that change the responses to how is it already changing the the response to disaster? So, well, this kind of the next question has to do with um, how do you navigate the limitations of self-directed learning online to maintain the engagement and the growth mindset among your learners? So they, they're not getting bored that they go, okay, I want to stay involved. I want to learn this. So what do you do to, to navigate those limitations? I mean, that's a never ending challenge. And, you know, while we, we respond to a critical need by providing that content, it's not enough to say, eh, okay, mission done. We can just let it run in the background because the technology can do it for us. So it's really about always thinking about high quality online learning that we identify, uh, and that we provide for free, but, uh, and, you know, making sure that accessibility to education is, is feasible to anyone, anywhere, as long as you have, yes, a connection with the internet. But, then comes the work around, so the identification of great content. And we can only do that thanks to the, the, the many partnership we have, because again, you know, it's five of us at the foundation. So there is no pretension to do it all on our own. It's all about working collaboratively. And, uh, you know, a lot of bigger agencies create content. So we linked with them and, you know, most of them see the value of sharing their content 
to the wider audience, not just their staff. And also because it's a musical chair in the sector. I've seen it many times where we move from one agency to another because of short-term contract and short-term funding. So we work with them. We see what sort of new content they create and, you know, see that if it can meet the need of our learners, see if we can host it. We also partner with um, subject matter experts to create unique content to the platform because we haven't, we haven't identified with, you know, within our, our network of partner we work on the what what's called the, the learner experience so it's very it's about the learner centricity to everything we do so we you know with an audience across 195 countries across you know four main languages english but also french spanish and arabic spread in so many countries we we can't have one size fit all but we try to make sure the 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 choice of content, the length of them, the format can meet these different needs, and and making sure that when people go on the platform, it's easy enough to find something, so they don't people don't have to click a million times because I would be the first one to give up. So you know, making sure it's it's clear, you can search per keyword or per topic. So making it as intuitive and as you, you know learner centric as as possible, and then it's about yeah communicating with our audience and. They're, they're fantastic because so many new learners comes thanks to word of mouth or, you know, after hearing on platform like such as your Ellen. So it's really for us to just think global in, in our small team, but thanks to our network, thanks to all the feedback we get from our partner, from the learner, making sure the experience as a learner is great. We feed that curiosity, that growth mindset with great new content, diverse format, diverse lengths. And again, because some people just need to refresh their knowledge when some other wants to really go deep. So we go from short videos or mobile guide that they can download and have on their phone, even when they're off Wi-Fi, to really much longer curriculum that they take in their own pace and with an exam at the end so they can show a certificate. So it's... It has to be diverse. It has to be inclusive in, you know, the different, as you, as you said, it's different culture, different languages. So I'm not pretending we have cracked that one perfectly, but we want to make sure it's diverse enough so people can find what they need at the point of need and also tickle their curiosity. So they go back, they come back for more. Well, I love the idea that you have like shorter little, like almost like appetizers that people can say, oh, okay, I can take this short video and I can learn this. And they can say, oh, I want to learn more. So then there's a deeper dive into whatever it might be. But they don't have to. If they don't like that, then they can go to something else. But I think when we come back from the break, I'd also like to learn a little bit more about, so what are the content? How are you, you know, designing it? Are there videos? Are there slide presentation? Are there... um written materials. I mean, you have four main languages and I think that's really important. I didn't, so it's English, Spanish, French, and Arabic. So yeah, those because the, there are four of the key languages in the, you know, in the UN system and in the humanitarian sector, but far from being the only one I, I know. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. There's many more, but I yeah. think that's also important to know because even if someone, many times people, let's say for English, they can read English. They don't necessarily speak it, but they hmm. sometimes had English textbooks. I've heard talked spoken yeah. to so many people around the world so that they actually have a, a very big vocabulary of being able to read, but may not speak equally. So, exactly. so there are you know, different ways, I think, to format it. But I think the other thing is that when you really uh, try to understand the adult learner and how we all learn differently, because many of us do not re- do not learn the best by listening by itself alone. We might have to read and listen, or some of us don't do very well with listening. We might have to read. I mean, there's all so many different ways that we learn as human beings. So we're going to take um, a very short break. <laughs> 
Em, I told you this was going to go really fast. I yeah. can't believe it. We're halftime. All right, you know the halftime show is coming, but we are going to be coming back um, after the break, and we're going to have a deeper dive into disaster ready. Well, we'll learn a little bit more about you know their resources and their libraries, so that our listeners can say, "Oh, I can go there, and I might be able to use that for whatever project that you may be involved with right now." So. Oh, gosh, Em, look at that. I knew this was going to go by very fast. <laughs> I know. I told you, like, goodness gracious. Okay, so we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. You'll hear from our sponsor, the Trauma Resource Institute. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma informed and resiliency focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine Miller-Karis book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. Elaine Miller-Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I'm here with Emmanuel. We call her Anne Lacroix from Disaster Ready. And I also want to let people know that you can learn more about Disaster Ready by going to disasterready.org. And if you want to personally speak to um, to M, you can just put it through. It's the hello part, right? They can just say M that they want to talk yeah. to and they can and they'll get to you. So um, again, I found M to be incredibly responsive to some of the questions we had about Disaster Ready. So we're we're going to continue our conversation. And what I'm hoping that you can tell us a little bit about is what do you hear from your learners on the impacts of providing opportunities for their lifelong learning from your disaster ready portal um, portal? Well, I mean, I, we have, so we have the inbox, you know, the info at disasterready.org where many of our learners comes to share 
question or feedback. And we we have that campaign where within a few weeks after somebody signed up, we send that email saying, hey, great to join that community of learner. And we just want to know why you joined. And, and through that, we can just see how you know, what a beacon, beacon of hope and, and what a change, chance to have access to adult education it provides to so many of our learners because it's for many of them, you know, I'm going to say they're, they're based in the field. So, you know, in the sector, we tend to talk about HQ and then the, the country of operation, which is the field. And in many of the country of operation of, of the NGO using disaster ready for most of the learner, the national staff, it's really the only real source of continuous development and learning. And the pride they get into having their certificate upon completion or even better when they pass the test on our certificate is my, my world will not do justice to how much pride and how much joy it brings them and, you know, the support it gives them in terms of building confidence, giving them empowerment to sort of think about I can progress in my career and I can apply to sort of more senior jobs or I can set up my own NGO. I mean, the, the testimony are endless. And, and I think for that, I mean, just that, which is so much, it's that, you know, that's what we said at the beginning is bringing down the barriers and giving that access to everybody giving that access to, to confidence and agency to be able to take in their own end their development and the, the development of their, you know, career and, and supporting their community or setting up their own agency. I mean, it's their, their world will be always 10 times worse than, than mine to describe that. Well, and I think the other thing is that when we think about the global community, you know, all those countries I mentioned in the beginning, you know, they may have, they may be working from an NGO perspective, but then what is the money being spent for? It may not be spent for this kind of continuing education and learning on how best to serve the people that are suffering, because the needs of the sufferers are so great at that point. Um, it can be overwhelming or even having the time to do it. When you have to deliver so much during the daytime, for example, that I imagine some people will access it at night. They're going, oh, I'm going to be at home, I'm going to rest, and I'm going to listen to something. So I imagine there's a <laughs> number of different ways that people access the portal. I mean, have you found that to be true? Totally, because some of you know some of our learners are being um, advised or told by their team or their team leader to take certain courses because some are compliance related around maybe safety and security or prevention of sexual abuse and harassment. So, and which is great because that's also one of our purpose, making sure people get that foundational essential knowledge. So they will do that during, let's say, their working hours. Some of them are in between contract or some are aspiring um, humanitarian, whether they finish their study or they they have a career change in mind. So they do that in between two contracts. And some of them, you know, we have an um, an, an association, an NGO based in the Philippines where the, the access to the internet is a bit random depending of the time of the day, but they're very intentional in terms of, based on the trend of connectivity, they will set up, whether it's during the day or in the evening, they will set up time around with the best connectivity, connectivity time, sorry, to all as a team gather and, and take learning and then, you know, talk with each other about, okay, so with our general principle or key guiding sort of um, information, how do we take that back and apply that in, in our context? So it's, it's really, you know, it's fascinating to see how when people want to take time and learn, they will. And that's the, the beauty of it because there is no deadline. There is no timeline. It's really, it's there. For anybody so to they can they can learn it and they can do it in their own time and they can even plan it like you're saying 
in terms of the work week, when they would like to do it. And having been to many countries, sometimes there's a time of better connectivity to the internet because not as many people are using it, for example. Exactly. Um, yes. Yeah, so that if you plan around that, then that's going to increase the likelihood of everyone getting together and being able to learn too at the same time. Um, so let me ask you another question. So how can online learning contribute to building readiness, resilience, and promote equity? We've talked a little bit about that in terms of the democratization of it, but can you expand a little bit upon those themes? Well, I mean, you know, as we said before, it's free, so it gives that access to anyone, obviously, with the Wi-Fi connectivity, I, I know that there is not like an absolute <laughs> reach to all, but, you know, it's free, it's accessible anytime, anywhere, when, once you have a device and, and connectivity. And, you know, sometimes what some of our learners do, they will take the learning when they have that connectivity. And as we just said, they will take the, the knowledge and share that with their community, family members, you know, any any, any group that needs support. So, um, it, it and preparedness... To me, that readiness is about being prepared so you can be more resilient and that access to all is where you, you build that equity. So everything is in the same equation, you know, because we know, you know, that within resilience, there is the, the financial resilience. So if we can support their career or, or their, you know, getting their next job, then it will support them financially and, and the family. So resilience also lives in that space and you know from because we contribute to building confidence to me that's another way to support dignity and and again you know build build resilience and and supporting well-being and at the end of the day the word we used before which sometimes is overused but to me it takes all its sense when we talk about empowerment because it's in their hand to learn what they need and progress at their own pace to get to the next level to support their community their family and and themselves because it's about you know the individual level for their health and well-being, then it's it trickle into like teams where you build trust, safety, and that collective care, and then it goes to the organizational level where you know through organizational culture and leadership you also reinforce all of that. So it's that again, it's all for me. There is the pathway in each of that, and it goes back to being ready and 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 building continuously that resilience because it's not something you know we can just say oh tick the box i'm resilient now and off i go well yeah, have you found ahead, too, um, M, that I know that I've been in, like when I went to Haiti, for example, there was mm. such a hunger, a hunger really for education and that not all countries, because of all sorts of reasons, are people able to go to even grade school and yeah. complete, complete it. And yet they're very smart. And yet they haven't had the opportunity of more formalized education. Now, have you kept that in mind in terms of some of your offerings, you know, making things, for example, in video form, if they can't, let's say, necessarily have the same um, ability to read, for example? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's the beauty of technology and, you know, having these different formats. So as you said, Ellen, we, we, so we have, as you would expect on a learning management system, online learning courses where we try to think accessibility as well, you know, in, in terms of making sure we, we meet all the criteria. We have subtitle generated for if there are like videos or people can download some document out of it so they can take that when take more time to reread it again, providing the transcript. And, and all that sort of criteria to have in mind. Videos, again, very popular amongst a lot of our audience, usually short, but that's, you know, that's what we refer to as micro-learning. So people can take it easily. They will engage because it's the visual kind of learner that can just immediately get it because voice and image are just sort of helping imprinting in their brain. 
we have, as you said, also document because for some people, they just need to be able to have that and in their own time and sometimes printing it. I, although it's not really good for trees around me, but sometimes <laughs> I need a paper copy where I can put my notes, make my comments. So we, we try to have all these different formats. As long as it's, you know, we were talking about learner experience and engagement, as long as it's designed in such a way that it's not just block of text, because we're going to lose, I would be the first one to drop off. But, you know, if it's with text, then you have images, you have sort of uh, drawings, things that will engage again the brain. So it's more visual and it's it's passing on the knowledge rather than just dumping a lot of words that we get lost Along the line. Well, I guess, and I, and I want to emphasize with our to our audience, I want you to know that this is something that's really given out of the generosity of this organization. So people do not have to pay to take these courses that are being offered, and I think that of course becomes so important because disaster is is oftentimes equal to me to humanitarian response. Mm-hmm. And a humanitarian response, you know, it's like, I don't like it to have a price tag, right? Although if you're going to go in person, you're going to need to have, you know. Again, hotel, flights. But if you're giving, imparting information, you can do that in order. You know, it's kind of like the old saying, I want to be able to teach people how to fish rather than give them the fish. And that's what you're doing in this kind of amazing technological way of that. And and even, I love this image, but, you know, it's even more than that. We we give them the choice of of what fish they want to fish. What fish they want to take. That's what, this is not the only fish. Right. Exactly. Because and that they, happens they, when you go to disasters, <laughs> you'll go, oh, this is the only way. Hell, yes. And people exactly. start doing like the disaster response, like um, oh, conflict in of itself going, oh, that's not good, but this is good. But then you're going, well, maybe that's not good for you, but it's good for that person. Exactly. So the smorgasbord, they get to choose on their own. Talk about empowerment. I love that. And that's exactly right. So, um, so I have another question. Of course, you know that the Trauma Resource <laughs> Institute were very involved in kind of like, you know, I wrote an article not long ago about um, that really that the mental health crisis is a public health emergency. And when we know when disasters happen, they and they happen to children, they happen to adults, they happen to elders, and that they can be traumatic, not for everyone, but they can be traumatic. And so what kind of resources in the library do you have that for mental health and 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 well-being, I mean that that's definitely a, a key topic. And and you know, having been in the sector for a while, I I can see the evolution, thankfully, in the right direction to recognize that mental health is an issue wherever you are and wherever you're working. And humanitarian are not protected from it. I mean, we are trained to care deeply about humanity and of the importance of saving life, alleviating suffering and, you know, restoring dignity. And that's the driving force for all of us in in the sector. And we want to do that, you know, needs, and we want to be able to conduct this operation. But a bit too often, we, you know, we forget, it's a bit like in the plane, you know, we always told you have to put the mask on somebody else before you do it, uh, you know, before you do it. And, and we, we tend to, no, sorry, you have to put it on you before to help, before helping anybody else. And we've kind of lost that in, in the sector where, for good reason, again, because it's the mission is so dear to our heart. But if we don't take care of ourselves, then we're not going to be able to help much people. And there's been, a, you know, that need for collective reinvention around mental health is, Gradually, I mean, and I'm sure you've seen that, Ellen, in your work, is is finally getting you know the traction it needs, and that's why we we've been able to um, identify content, whether it's on psychological first aid, you know, the sign of burnout, how you prevent that for yourself and your 
and your team coping with grief because gosh if somebody is facing you know the grief of other and potentially yours that's humanitarian and we we've been able to grow grow the library and again in the different format I've mentioned, because it might be a different point of need. Well, it might be for you, it might be for your team, it might be for the community you're supporting. So we always have to keep that in mind. Um, different format, different lengths. And, you know, it's it's on the, obviously on the platform. But what we've done recently, um, since the war in, in, in Ukraine broke out, is some of the video, specifically the video we've we've had um we've developed or we we were donated out. I mean the the one we own, we've also put them on YouTube because we realize that some of them are not only relevant to ed worker coming to our platform, but maybe family hosting refugee family or you know community groups trying to help with the 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 the, the influx of, of refugees from across the border in, in Poland or Romania. And we just thought, okay, we need to make it as easy as possible for these content to be accessed accessed. And they might not become lifelong learner on disaster ID, but then at the point of need right now around mental health and resilience, it needs to be accessed easily. So we've added all this video on our YouTube channel. So not via the platform, but straight onto the YouTube platform, still free, obviously. And we have, uh, that's where we have them in, in our key languages, but we've translated them in, in Ukrainian, Russian, Polish. We have them in Spanish, French, Arabic, and, and English, of course. And recently, I mean, at the moment, we are working on also adding them in Hebrew to support the the response in, in Israel and, and Gaza. So it's it's really about, yes, we have a, a model, but you know, some sometimes we need to sort of adjust and to be a bit creative around how we can make sure these 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 resources are going to the people that need it. So how do you get the different people to um to translate this in the different languages? So do you have people that volunteer or does the organization have a bank of of translators? Because that's a lot of different languages that you have to keep um you know, abreast and make sure they're good in terms of how yeah. they're translating. And languages we right. don't have in the team. <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah. Like, you know, when we, last uh, two years ago, a year and a half ago, when the war broke out in Ukraine, the, the company gave us some extra budget to do the translation. So, you know, I said we have these four main languages. And if you go on the platform in English, you will see a little box to get, to take you to the Russian, Polish, and, and Ukrainian. So we, we worked with, um, we have a we have a fantastic bunch of volunteers within the organization because Cornerstone is a global company. So we reach out, we put a call to our, you know, the internal sort of channel of communication saying, hey, we will need some support for translation or checking translation. We have some budget to translate, but it's, you know, it's always good to have a second pair of eyes. So we had so many people, you know, willing to um, to help because for, you know, it's, for them, it was one way to feel they were contributing. They knew the company was contributing, but can I do something for, you know, myself? And language skills are always needed. So same thing with Hebrew. We have a big team of 80 plus people in Tel Aviv and, you know, obviously not all of them because they have much more pressing need to, to attend to, but people who speak Hebrew, whether they're in Tel Aviv or elsewhere, wanted to be able to help. So it, it's always amazing in, in this case, you know, in this situation of, emergency and need and stress where people, the fact that they can participate and give back help. So a long-winded answer to say, yes, we have some budget, but the beauty of it is we also have these wonderful colleagues that want to volunteer for us. Well, and I, and I have to say that I have found in our own organization at TRI that I have been so touched by people's generosity of time. 
because like you said, um, we've experienced the same thing with um, Ukraine and the recent um, um, conflict um, in Palestine and in Israel, where people just say, what can we do? Can we help? Can we translate? Can we do this? Can we do that? Right? So I think that we also see the great, um, the great calling, the great song of humanity of helping others that absolutely touches the core of my heart when because we see if we only watch the news sometimes we just see the suffering or we Mm. see the the political the politicization of whatever is happening but we don't see the sacredness of the generosity of people that are kind of doing what else is true which is one of my bylines like what else is true about the work that we're doing and maybe we can talk a little bit about that right now about what else is true for you just like i've seen the sacredness in this work of people that are just so amazingly generous? Well, I mean, for, for me, it's, you know, when I was recruited for that role, I was thinking, oh, you know, is that a foundation or is that just sales undercover, you know, doing some good, but actually you want to position the the, the product. And I was proven wrong to be so suspicious and I'm glad to have been, been proven <laughs> wrong because there is a true, you can, you know, be a corporate entity and, and do make money, run your business. But you can also, you know, still give back and and not only bring pride to your to your to your employee, but have an impact to the audience you want to serve. So, for me, it's just like realizing that there is there is meaning, and that's what keeps me has been keeping me going for all these these years. It's just like serving my my original habitat, let's say, because I'm I'm a I'm a head worker for the rest of my life, but I'm in a different position now. But being able to still be useful and, and serve, you know, that that community which I call my family, equipping them to respond in time of crisis and support their community. And that brings me so much gratitude and you know that that very important sense of belonging that I I have that sense of belonging to that sector thanks to my to, to, to the foundation, to what we do at Disaster Ready. And I think the other side is the, the, what I've learned, you know, talking to people like you, Ellen, and the work you do and our resources around mental health, mental health and well-being is just like the need for compassion, starting with our self-compassion. If we want to be able to have the agency and the resilience to carry on doing what we do, it can't happen without, you know, taking that that pause and and checking in and, and having compassion for ourselves and you know the, the rest of, of the world around us so i think at the moment it's being tested and we've had conversation around that and it's not always easy but i guess you know it, it's yeah sadness is is there and it's kind of set on fire right now if you watch the news but if we remember to sort of inhale and there is so much to hold so excel and and then hold it together and 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 work together through through that and that's what when you said that there were like 80 people that had volunteered for you know translation in hebrew that's pretty amazing really and saying that you know that people have a response of wanting to help when people are suffering and for some people it's the first time they've seen suffering in this way and so when you see that it's almost like that metamorphosis almost something that's been laying dormant inside of someone that all of a sudden you see this amazing beautiful you know um you know the butterfly that comes from the crystallis right that says oh my i can bring this you know i can shine a light on what i know is important and i do believe in that common humanity and right now in the world i don't think there's a time that we can really think about it more 
in what's happening in the world. Um, I, I worry, you know, I have so many Ukrainian colleagues and in the American news that they haven't been talking so much about Ukraine lately since what happened in Israel and Palestine. And and I know that in the last, I think, 24 hours that Kiev has been um, very much bombed, bombarded. Yeah. yeah, bombarded. And I, you know, and I have so many colleagues there. I don't know if they're okay or not. And I just got, so I guess that's the other part is that uh, there's two parts to be about the suffering and what you just said, there also what else is true about there's something that we're doing for humanity, the meaning and purpose. And I think that to me is also what what propels me forward because there's meaning and purpose in the work that you're doing, Em, um, obviously so. And I'm just so grateful to know you and to know that the organization exists that is doing that. So, oh my goodness, we have sped by our time. So I know. <laughs> parting words to our audience. What would you like to leave them with in the time we have a couple minutes for you to give some parting thoughts. Well, I guess something you and me talked about, Helen, you know, last time on our call, I guess it was just a few days or week after the, the terrible news coming from Israel and then the war, the war starting out of that and how discouraging it can get. But then, as we said, if we, if we give up and we turn off one more light, then it's only, it's only darkness, to, you know, winning over some more space. So it's, it's a small contribution, but there is so much impact to that that let, let, let's let's start and let's continue. And the, the last thing I have is a colleague of mine who shared that story. And I don't know if it's true, but, you know, she wrote that about that man that was standing in front of the White House night after night during the White, White Vietnam War, holding a lighted, a lighted candle. And on a ready night, a reporter asked him, do you really think you're going to change the policy of this country by standing out there alone at night with a candle? And he simply replied, I don't do it to change the country. I do it so the country won't change me. I will do my small part every day to turn human, to stay awake and tender so the world doesn't wear away my humanity. And for me, <laughs> I think that summarized so much, you know, what you do, Ellen, what I try to do with my team at Disaster Ready and, and many of us, you know, connected here today. We want to carry on having that light on because... There is no other choice, right? We can't turn right. that off that time. And and who knows when we hold that light up, we may be that one light when someone's in darkness that finds a different exactly. of being in with themselves and in the world. So well, M, thank you so much. I'm so grateful um that I have gotten to know you and that we now are conspiring connected <laughs> for, for humanity <laughs> together. <laughs> I love that. And yep. uh, just remind everyone that you can reach um M at disasterorg. Disaster disasterready.org. Yeah, info at disasterready.org. Info at disasterready.org and info at disasterready.org. And I'm gonna say it again. Um, if you want to talk to her directly and learn more about the wonderful website and how you can do some online learning. And for all of my listeners to remember what else is true, that yes, there's a lot of suffering in the world, but there's so much goodness. And remember that man in front of the White House with the light, with the candle, that he wasn't going to lose his humanity. Um, and I hope that none of us will lose ours and do. see the suffering. And uh, reach out to someone who you love. Let them know that you love them today. That sometimes is something that can always, always help us. So until we meet again, this is Elaine miller Karras signing off for Resiliency Within with a deep bow to M. Lacroix and all the good works that she's doing through Disaster Ready and beyond. Thank you, M. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within, with host Elaine Miller-Karras, is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.